0: Hello, and welcome to the latest edition of the FT Advisor podcast. Today, we are talking about active ownership and net zero and how investors can influence companies. In 2021, the government published its net zero strategy, setting out a pathway to reach net zero greenhouse gas emissions by 2050. Over time, investor interest in low carbon strategies has also evolved due to regulatory pressure and consumer driven trends towards socially responsible investment. There's also been regulatory pressure for investment managers and pension fund trustees to climate dress test portfolios. I mean, clearly the conversation is actually is really hotting up now. And most recently, PIMFA urged the UK government for more clarity over how investors can support the UK's net zero journey. So what should the approach look like when engaging with companies to reach net zero? I'm really excited today. I'm joined by Carol Storey, climate engagement lead at Schroeders, and Ethan McMahon, partner in the investment management team at Classical, to talk about this. Thank you, uh, Carol. Thanks, Ethan. Really lovely to have you here today. First of all, I mean, uh, the question I probably, I think we should probably start off with is really asking about how quickly companies are working to reduce this, their worldwide greenhouse gas emissions, or rather more pointedly, which sectors are the biggest contributors? Uh, maybe I'll start with you, Cal.
1: Thank you. Well, when it comes to greenhouse gas emissions, there are several sectors that contribute significantly on a global scale. Now, these are, include sectors involved in energy production, in transportation, those involved in extraction, the processing of raw materials and also agriculture. But it's also worth looking more broadly at the role of the financial sector, for example, the banking sector, as they are providing financial support to lots of different industries, including those with high emissions. And what I want to emphasize is, while focusing on high-emitting sectors is essential, climate change is a systemic issue. So it requires a comprehensive approach across many different sectors. So within our own climate engagement program, we include the whole range, and that includes sectors like food, media, retail, even healthcare, sectors that just might not spring to mind when you're thinking about climate change.
0: And when we're talking about engagement, you know, how do we engage with companies to reach net zero? What are we talking about essentially? And has that sort of definition changed over time, eta
2: Thanks, And um, So investors have got lots of different ways that they can engage with companies. I suppose the most straightforward is simply talking to the company directly, ideally with senior leaders in the business or with the investor relations team. Um, And in those conversations, we're talking about the importance of ambitious net zero targets and about having a detailed plan to achieve those targets. And then I think what's changed perhaps is that I think investors are a lot better now at keeping those conversations going and following up on the topic and normalizing net zero progress questions in the sort of regular meetings that we have on an ongoing basis with management. So as well as engaging on a one-to-one basis with companies, investors often work collaboratively with one another on ESG issues like net zero. So for example, there's an organisation called the Carbon Disclosure Project and that brings investors together to target engagement on companies on things like carbon reporting and now on, on target setting too so each year investors are given a small number of companies to engage with but they are speaking on behalf of all the other investors in that campaign too so it sends a really powerful signal to companies that can be really effective
0: hi carol yeah and so, i mean do you have anything to add to that in terms of how we engage with companies to reach net zero
1: yes i can add to that so at schroder's engaging companies to reach net zero is actually a key part of our own net zero commitment to clients. So we do it in a very systematic way. In 2022, we undertook our largest ever engagement exercise, uh, where we engaged over 700 companies on climate change. Now, it was a collaborative effort within Schroeder's with over 170 of our analysts and PMs from around the world speaking to Companies to explain our goals and views. And so, to help with this, we developed a five part climate engagement and escalation framework to really help guide our efforts. The first part is, is similar to what ETA was just talking about, talking about what we're actually asking companies to do. So, commit to net zero, set a robust target, publish a credible transition plan, and of course, report progress on it regularly. The second element of our framework covers who we want to engage and our engagement efforts focus on the companies that contribute most to our finance emissions and also where we believe our influence is greatest. Often, but not always, those that we hold quite a lot of. The third part of our framework covers how we are monitoring progress and measuring the impact of our engagements. Really important, particularly once we've got two, three, four years worth of of engagement data to see how that's going. Are we making a difference? And then the fourth and fifth elements cover our approach to voting and also to escalation should a company not be making any progress towards net zero or decarbonising its business.
0: Does the um, approach when it comes to active ownership, does the strategy approach differ depending on the sector or the type of investment, And Carol?
1: That is a great question. And yes, it does differ depending on the sector, on the region and also the size of the company. And I think it's quite crucial to tailor our approach as different industries and regions are facing their own distinct challenges and opportunities relating to the transition to net zero. So as an example, if we look at the steel industry, it's very highly carbon intensive and the challenges faced by steel companies are very different to those faced by companies in other sectors, let's say banks or energy companies. So in the case of steel, our engagement strategy would involve understanding the specific emission reduction technologies and strategies available to the company. For example, replacing traditional blast furnaces with electric arc furnaces, perhaps exploring hydrogen-based steel production, or or using more scrap steel, if if that's possible. In addition, smaller companies may have fewer resources to help invest in sustainability initiatives our approach here might be to focus on identifying the most cost effective solutions and and actually providing support on implementing best practices or identifying you, you know the, the the quick hits that they can implement and of course regional differences i mentioned before play a significant role regulations policies even cultural factors vary across the world and we therefore need to adapt our engagement approach accordingly.
0: Ita, can I, if I can ask you, what's it, what's your approach, and how do you, how does it differ when it comes to sort of, you know, different sectors, perhaps?
2: Well, actually, for us at Castlefield, a lot of that sort of climate risk that Carol's just been talking about is eliminated for us because we have quite a tight screening policy, and we don't invest in carbon-intensive industries, you know, across our, our fund range. But nevertheless, as Carol's alluded to, you know climate change is a systemic issue and we take it very seriously so we too have engaged with all of our equity holdings across our equity funds in the past 12 months to find out exactly what they're doing on net zero to encourage them to set a target if they've not done so already um, and to encourage them to have a detailed transition plan but it does the asks that we're asking vary according to the size of the company so with small caps we know that for example, direct calls with senior management can be really effective. You know, but we also know that some of the firms in our smaller companies fund are yet to even set net zero targets. So the conversations that we're having there um, are very much about encouraging them to get started, to make the business case for setting a target and to give them some pointers on practical next steps with large companies we have much higher expectations about what we want them to achieve and for example we want to see larger companies adopting science-based targets which are you know independently accredited and they're the real sort of gold standard of carbon reduction.
0: Okay great thank you I mean how do you sort of feel about where the conversation is heading generally speaking now you know when we talk more and more about active ownership would you say that it is it's going in the right direction or is it going as fast as it should be going? Carol, um, what do you think?
1: I think if we look at the rate of target adoption over the last year, there is strong momentum. So you, you just need to go to the science-based targets initiatives website and you can see all these, all these companies that are, are now making that commitment. So I think there is momentum, but we've had a slow start. So really, a lot more needs to happen across many, many more companies for, for this to make a huge difference. So I, I guess to summarize, there is good momentum, lots of companies are making lots of effort, but there is still a lot of work to do. And I think, as companies set targets, what we need to start seeing over the next seven years to 2030 is companies meet those targets too. So identifying those factors, that might mean they miss them and having a conversation about what's going on will be crucial as, as our engagements evolve.
0: I don't know if um, either of you saw recently PIMFA put out a press release. It was sort of end of last month, a few weeks ago, saying that urging the UK government to, for clarity on the investor role in this strategy or this approach, to, you know, this with tar- this, you know, with this target in mind of reaching net zero by 2050. Um, Ita do you have a view on what that sort of what what that means or what PIMFA is trying to ask the government?
2: Well, I think that one of the issues I think that investors are facing is understanding what the terminology here and what constitutes, you know, a good investment in terms of the transition to net zero and not, not. And one of the things that we're seeing at the moment is that the UK is trying to develop a green taxonomy to mirror what's happening in the EU. And I think once that taxonomy is in place, investors will have a clearer understanding of what constitutes a, a good, clean, green investment. And I think that clarity is very much needed at the moment because there are so many interpretations of what sustainable means at the moment
1: I think that distinction between clean and transition though is is really important there are companies that just don't have very high emissions and I, I guess in that sense they can be defined as clean or green but actually some of the biggest gains that we're going to see are from those high emitting sectors so it's from the cement companies the steel companies mining companies utilities decarbonizing their business models through various methods where we will start to see reductions in emissions which will of course help reduce global warming great no
0: thanks for that um it if i can ask you as well kind of following on from the pimper's um statement what role would you say advisors play in these conversations with clients about active ownership
2: So, when I talk to the advisors at our firm, they tell me that clients have usually heard about screening and they've usually heard about exclusions, but they haven't heard about active ownership. So, I think the first role that advisors have got is to simply introduce the concept to clients in the first place and to tell them about it. And our advisors say that once clients know about it, they're really interested in the idea, they're really engaged in the idea, and they like to hear examples that we've undertaken in in terms of active ownership and I suppose looking ahead the idea of active ownership is absolutely central to the sustainable fund labelling scheme that the FCA consulted on earlier in the year so if that scheme does go ahead then the topic of active ownership is going to start coming up more and more in conversations with clients.
0: Um, Staying on that on the topic of advisors um, how important is it for advisors to be confident when talking about to clients about terminology, you know, regulation and ESG integration, particularly like in light of what you, you know, just mentioned about the FCA and SDG labels? Yes,
2: yeah, so I think it's increasingly important, you know, there's a growing interest from clients and that's only going to increase even more with time, particularly if the scheme goes ahead, as we've said. So, it, you know, makes sense from an advisor's perspective to develop a level of knowledge on ESG and have that confidence to have those conversations. And I suppose what we've found over many years of doing this is that, One client's definition of sustainable investing can be very different to the next. So advisors will need to have enough ESG and sustainability knowledge to decipher a client's specific requirements and then to be able to match it to the specific funds that make sense in terms of those requirements. And again, not all sustainable funds are the same, so it's not that easy. And in fact, in that sense, the the labelling scheme would help really because it would give advisors, a defined framework and a common terminology that they can use in those conversations with their clients.
0: Um, and Kyle what's your view on the advisor role in, in this active ownership conversation? Yeah, I
1: agree with a lot of the points from Eta. I would say that advisors play that vital role in education, but also as they get more sophisticated communicating the views of, of their clients to asset managers, we want to hear what they think about um various sustainability issues, what what they think is important to them. Uh, The other thing I would add is that the ESG landscape is very noisy. It's quite nuanced. It's very complicated. So as an advisor, if you can really simplify that environment, focus on what's key for that particular client, that will be really, really helpful. And I think there's another context here that many institutional clients in particular, like pension funds, now actually have their own net zero goals and. Actually, regulatory obligations around net zero. So you're having to advise them within that context too.
0: Do you get a sense at all, um, Carol or Ita, um, to you know, what extent clients, you know, retail investors really care about or understand about active ownership, or is it a case of something that they care about, they have but they haven't quite put a name to it?
1: I would say that clients, including retail investors, really do care but that there's a wide range of views on the matter. Some really, really care, some care a little bit. And of course, there will be clients that this is less of an issue for them. We do a survey every year. So our 2022 investor survey, which I think is the the most recent one we've got published, surveyed over 23,000 people from 33 locations across the world, actually found that 60% of respondents considered climate as an important issue for Investors to engage companies on. So that's a good piece of evidence. The other more anecdotal evidence I have is we've noticed an increasing number of sophisticated questions coming from our clients about companies that are important to their own investments so again indicates a growing interest in this area for example we have clients asking us to explain our voting rationales in in detail we put voting rationales on the website where they want more information more analysis around why why we place the votes a particular way or they're asking us to to actually share our engagement plans for a, a certain company over the year so they want more and more detail
0: did you, did you want to add to that at all
2: yeah, so I suppose when it comes to sustainable investing, there's this ongoing debate, isn't there, about whether it's better to engage with carbon intensive companies or whether it's better to sort of exclude them from your portfolios in the first place. And in terms of what our clients can't speak for everybody's clients, but certainly our, our clients at Castlefield, we think that they for those highly intensive industries, we think they probably care more about excluding them from their portfolios. Than engaging. But then obviously, there's still that really important role that active engagement and active ownership plays in terms of engaging the companies that are in our portfolios on their net zero targets. But I do think there's a bit of a red line there with some industries for for some of our clients where they just would rather not go there in the first place.
0: Thank you. And sort of more broadly speaking, are there questions advisors should be asking their investment managers you know, in order to understand what their approach or, or their strategy is to do net zero? Um, Carol?
1: Yes, I think there are three broad questions to ask. What is the asset manager's own goals and targets? For example, do they have a science-based target that has been verified? The second question is how are they achieving that goal and, and this is really important. Again, it's being brought out by ETA in, in the, and, and mean in, in the differences between our, our two firms' approaches. They might be achieving those goals through the products that they offer, through divestment, kind of reshaping their portfolios or, or placing that emphasis on engagement. And then the third question is always, always why. It's never black and white when it comes to net zero or sustainability, but finding out why the approach a firm is taking is taking, uh, is taking is a, A really key question
2: yeah go ahead yeah Mm -hmm. thank you um so i just agree with what carol said there but i'd also encourage advisors to ask investment managers for those net zero engagement case studies and to relay them back to their clients because it really does help to bring um active stewardship to life for the, for the end client. Um, and stewardship reports, quarterly reports, you know, that they should be full of those case studies. And they won't just be case studies on net zero either, they'll be case studies on other environmental and social topics that might be of interest to the client base too. So I'm, I'm sure that investment managers will have a really rich source of, of information that they that advisors can pass on to those clients that are interested in this agenda.
0: Thanks. Is it fair to say that, you know, with the conversation, you know, I'm talking about active ownership I know, and I know we're talking more around climate change and net zero, but it's fair to say it's could feed into other parts of the whole ESG approach when you look at governance and, you know, the labour laws and how you treat your employees and how you, I mean, is, is that, would you say that sort of naturally sort of spreads into all those different areas as well? So
2: yeah, absolutely. We've got a really broad engagement program at Castlefield um, and we focus on engaging companies on their most important and most material ESG issues. So for a a food company that might be around the nutritional profile of their product portfolio, for another company it might be around, around waste or it might be around a different topic. So we do try and focus in on material issues but then on top of that we do have three three topic areas which apply to all companies and we try to engage with all of our companies on all of their on, on those three topics and one of those topics for the past couple of years has been net zero and you know and that sort of demonstrates that the prominence that we try and give it within the organization
1: at schroders we also have a broad range of engagement objectives across various themes so our engagement blueprint which is online is a very comprehensive document setting out how we engage and what we're engaging on and there are actually six key themes climate change being one and a whole bunch of sub-themes under that which I'll I'll come on to in a second we have natural capital and biodiversity as as another key theme human rights human resources diversity and inclusion and of course a whole range of governance issues so those are kind of key priority themes one thing I wanted to to highlight though under our climate theme, and, and I think this can be applied more broadly, we do actually include social considerations. So as the world transitions to net zero, there are a number of potential social implications, whether that's on on jobs or new risks uh, as we hunt for new resources, um, as we electrify the world. Uh, and so there is increasingly a lot of interconnectivity and interrelationship between all of these separate environmental, social, governance issues. They can't just be taken alone, essentially they're all connected.
0: And um, Thanks, Eita, thanks, Carol. I mean, I don't know if we're at the start of this journey or if we're mid, I mean, it just seems like there's still such a vast, you know, way to go and at some point, I guess, you know, ESG, all of this will no longer sort of be part of the, because it will just be the it will absolutely be sort of maybe the natural way of things anyway. So we will no longer talk about active ownership because it will be absolutely what everybody's doing, I guess, in a sense, really. So, yeah, well, thank you so much for joining uh, us today. Uh, Thank you, Eita. Thanks, Carol. Um, I hope you've enjoyed it. (laughs) And, uh, yeah, thank you for listening as well. And please join us next week for the next edition of the FT Advisor podcast. Thank you very much.